Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. And uh, I know, so Jared, we weren't initially going to have uh, any music this morning, which, you know, you if you uh, received our emails, you, you kind of heard that or saw that. And uh, so uh, Jared came in this morning and he was ready to lead if he was going to be able. And so he did. And so we're uh, thankful uh, for that. And um, and so hopefully as we are continuing our time of worship, um, the Lord uh, will even through these songs impress upon us um, uh, and ready our hearts for his word this morning. And so let's uh, turn to the Lord in prayer and uh, we will um, set our hearts before him now. So let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we echo even the words we just sang that you would show us Christ this morning. We come to a gospel, a gospel that is about Christ and magnifies Christ. And we thank you that we can turn to it this morning. And we come this morning recognizing that you are Lord today and you are Lord every single day. Times and seasons are in your hands that even though those around us perhaps are wondering at the future, afraid, anxious, discontent, may we as your church show that we trust you, the sovereign God, who reigns ever still, is Lord ever still, and will be Lord into the eons of all eternity. And so we come, and may we come with such a heart this morning, resting even right now, resting in your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our hope. So help us, Lord. May you lead us to true food as we go to your word, as we look to your son this morning, may you bless this time. May you lead us to have a demeanor that is fitting to Christ. Not only as we have this time, whether we're here at home, we have a demeanor that doesn't just simply worship you with our mouths in one moment and then go into the rest of our lives and act like Christ has little to no significance whatsoever. Help us to have a demeanor of Christ, a demeanor of Christ's likeness that we would shine before the Lord, before the world, the Lord, shine before the world, our Savior. And so help us, Father, to do that and help us to do it humbly, lovingly, graciously. May you help us now that we would look up to you, Lord, even as we look into your word. May we hear your word, every word of it, for your glory. Open our hearts. May we receive the food of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, this morning, if you would, go ahead and turn to John chapter 6. So here we will be continuing then our journey through this wonderful gospel that we have uh, been 
in these last few weeks and months and really most of this this year. And again and again, since we began walking through this gospel, this gospel has so powerfully, even as I've I just prayed and so continually set before us Christ. So in the midst of a difficult year, how God has graciously called us out of troubled and a tried kind of disposition to behold and to glory in Christ, which is, I hope, exactly what we are doing, even as we look at everything going on in the world and we're trying to think through it all and trying to figure it all out. Well, it is surely calling us to look evermore and all the more to Christ. So I hope you, Haven, and I hope whoever it is that may be tuning in this morning, that that is exactly what you will be doing this morning. And may we do that together, lifting our eyes upon and to Christ. And so last week we heard Jesus as he walked on the seas, you know, and he told his disciples in the midst of the turbulent waves that his eye do not be afraid, giving a banner over our fears. And the week before that, we saw Jesus perform wonders, biting the loaves or the bread and the fish. And now this morning we are called to consider what sort of bread do we have that does not and will not and cannot falter or fail or perish with time. So let's continue then here in John chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 22, and I'll be reading until verse 40. So a large section here of chapter 6. So may God grow our delight and faith in Christ this morning. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. But his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you do to perform? What do you perform? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have have never seen me, or have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Amen. Here we come right off the hills of Jesus and his disciples having crossed over the Sea of Galilee to go to Capernaum. So, of course, we read of this, and, or we read of this, and, and know what took place overnight. But, as we see in these opening verses, obviously the crowds, they do not know all these things that we heard last week, at least in our sermon, in the sermon and in this passage, of how Jesus indeed walked on the waters and crossed the seas in the night. And so the crowds then, they wake up and find that the disciples, they are gone. And somehow, of course, they don't know what we know, Jesus, he is gone as well. So he didn't go with the disciples in their boat. And so they're a bit befuddled at this, yet they earnestly press on across the sea, seeking after Jesus. And so here, then, is where we come to our first point this morning, that it is possible to be very earnest about the wrong things. It's possible to be very earnest about the wrong things. So we see this in verses 22 through 27. So what do I mean by that? Well, Let's look on here at the beginning part of this conversation then here in these verses between the crowds and Jesus. So upon finding Jesus, they wonder, as I think really all of us would wonder, how or when did he get there? He wasn't with the disciples, so what happened? You know, what's going on here? And so they ask him about this, but as Jesus tends to do, he doesn't answer the question. So Jesus, he is not primarily concerned with answering their curiosities here. Now you may say, why didn't he just tell them? I mean, if he told them how he walked on the sea, perhaps they would have been, you know, even even though they don't seem like it here, maybe, maybe they'd be more receptive to what he has to say here or something to that effect. So why was he not telling them this marvelous and wondrous thing that he did. Well, I know we can kind of wonder about that and even you know, kind of say, well, maybe he should have done that. Well, I'm not so sure you know, that 
that was the right way to go for a number of reasons, and most of all the text itself. But um, yes, he had just done this fantastic miracle. But if he had told them that he had just walked across the Sea of Galilee, I am doubtful that this would have convinced them. I mean, as we see here, they are a people that wanted to see him do marvelous signs before their eyes. Not merely hear that he did these things. Even though, you know, uh, people all around were certainly hearing of Jesus doing incredible things. They wanted to see it for themselves. And then another reason, perhaps, is Jesus, in fact, did not tell them. I mean, we recognize, even as we have seen throughout this gospel, Jesus knows what he is doing. And he, he has uh, purpose in what he does. And so him not telling them has great purpose, which is, in fact, I think, what we see here. We see that Jesus does not tell them because he's more interested in why they were earnest to find them, find him. Their motives, their heart behind, they're seeking after him. And they really were earnest to find him, but they were earnest about food that won't last. They were earnest about the wrong things. So they wanted their bellies filled, but they did not want Jesus himself. Now, an earnestness over the the signs themselves would have been better. But that's not what they were after. It's not even that. They're They're not like, well, let's go see another sign. And that's not what it's about. It's because, as Jesus says here in verse 26, you ate your fill of the loaves. So they are earnest about Jesus. They want more food, physical food from Jesus. Now picture them here. They earnestly cross the Sea of Galilee. They're laboring the whole way as you would, as you labor in crossing a sea. And they labor along the way until they finally get their boat or boats ashore. And then they go about searching for Jesus. And so much time involved, much investment involved, much literal labor involved. And they keep doing this until they find him. And they don't do any of that because of Jesus himself, but because they had or they wanted their fill of the loaves. Now, letting ourselves have a bit of imagination here. Let's say, you know, it's your wedding day. You know, all the preparations have been made. Every I is dotted. Every T is crossed. It's all ready and everything is set. The bride walks down the aisle and everyone is in place. And the pastor, he begins the ceremony and comes to the point where he will ask the groom if he will take this woman to be his wedded wife. And the groom answers, um... Sorry, uh, I thought this ceremony was about the food. I didn't come for her. I came for the food. Sorry about that. Big misunderstanding. Now, I get that's ridiculous. <laughs> and it's rightly a ridiculous example. But let that same kind of 
ridiculous feeling that you have over that kind of settle over us here in respect to the crowds and how they're seeking after Jesus as well. The crowds weren't there for Jesus. They were there for the food. (laughs) Not getting the point. (laughs) The whole reason for this thing is not food. The signs were not about primarily food. And so you see how odd, how contradictory, and how disconnected the crowds were from what is actually going on here. Who Jesus actually is. And why he has been doing all that he has been doing and saying and teaching. So here, we need to do some digging. And ask ourselves, why we, why you, are here. And you may not be physically here, yes. You know, for our service, you know, you'll be tuning in wherever you are. But why are you doing this? What lies behind your spirituality? Why do you come or tune in on Sundays? I mean, is it is it tradition? I mean, is it You know, a big church gathering? Is it a small church gathering? Is it the hymns? Is it the fellowship? Is it the social component? I know we don't really have a lot of that right now. But was it that? Is it the the knowledge that you may glean from the studies and so on and so on and so on? Or perhaps, you know, when we were gathering together, maybe it was indeed the food is why you came. For those potluck dinners or those fellowship meals. That's ultimately why you were coming. So ask, why are you here? And then, on another level, why? And ask, why do you read your Bible and pray as you do, if you do? Is it life and joy and peace and grace in Christ? Or is there something else behind your earnestness for the things of Christianity. And honestly, I think we're seeing a lot of people kind of leave the church because they're finding out, well, I wasn't really here because of Jesus or anything really in the Bible. I was here for the food. I was here because culturally it was acceptable. I was here because my family did it. But you know what? I'm done with it now. So consider what kind of earnestness you have. It's possible to be earnest about food that does not last. It's possible to shirk Jesus even as you display a great deal of earnestness for all variety of things. It's possible to be seeking to be satisfied in all variety of other things than the very food that you need. Jesus himself. So my question is, are you earnest? Are you satisfied? Are you delighting and earnest in preaching and proclaiming him above all? As you consider your desires and as you consider your thoughts, as you consider your loves and your words and your your actions, let's set them aright towards a God 
glorifying earnestness for Christ. He gives the true food and true life. It's upon Jesus that the Father, he has stamped his seal. Here is the true life-giving food that I have sent down from heaven. My seal is upon him. And so let us say then, more of Christ. And let us say then, more of Christ in all of life. More of Christ in the world. More of Christ at work. More of Christ at home. More of Christ at church. More of Christ in me. So be earnest. Even very earnest, but be earnest not for food that perishes, but for the eternal, life-giving, life-raising Christ. But this doesn't mean that you labor long and hard, work at being saved, but that if you know Christ, you let your life and your faith and hope in Christ loose upon the world. You let your earnestness show the world this is something only Christ can give. Me, the fact that I am am what I am is only because of Jesus. This is only something that Jesus can do. That when people look at Christ's church, they would say, well, that is only something God could do. And this leads us then to our next point here. The true work of God. Faith in Christ. We see this in verses 28 and 29. So following Jesus' answer here, the crowds, they ask him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So they were looking for some you know, tangible work that they could do, as in, you know, do this and you will have the food that never perishes. So they say, you know, tell me what to do and I'll do it so I can have that. What do I need to do? What work do I need to be performing in order to obtain this bread? And Jesus gives them the simple answer. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's it. You know, no, no more, no less. Jesus is saying, you heard me say, do not work for food that perishes. You heard that, and now you're thinking, what work do I need to do? <laughs> but you're not getting it. The work is God's work, and that work manifested is faith in you, faith in me. Or faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, no work of ours will suffice. Ever. You can't work for this. You cannot earn this. So during World War II, above a number of the entrances to the concentration camps, one of you know, great note was Auschwitz. They had over, as you enter into the camps, the concentration camps, they had these words. 
are baked, mocked, fry. Which means works make free. However, as you know, work for a Jew or whoever you were in the concentration camp was anything but free and certainly did not make them free. It was a lie. It was a deception. It was the evil direction that the Nazis were aiming them. It was not freedom. It was death. That's what the works were going to earn for them. A lie. And this is the great stumbling blocks of stumbling blocks that many have fallen headlong over. Many have entered into eternity thinking, look how much I did, how spiritual I was, what religious heights that I have reached to only find before them is the God they never knew. They've been fooled to think that they must work for God. They must work for salvation. They must work for heaven when it is faith in Christ and Christ alone that saves. God gives the true food and that true food of Christ is only through faith in Christ. So if you have been fooled, friend, be fooled no longer. Don't join the throng here of the people and the crowds. Join Jesus. Come to Him by faith. By faith, let me just emphasize it again. By faith and you will be freed from your sin-locked chains. And the chasm between you and God will be gulfed forever. Believe in Him. And you'll have life. Don't tarry. Stop even now. If that's you, you don't know him this morning. Right now in the midst of the sermon, look to Christ and trust in him. Don't wait for coming to this building or coming down an altar or your emotions moving you. You may come to him now and you will be set Free, no longer lost, but found upon found. Forgiven, freed, and made right with God forever. So will you trust in Christ this morning? If you don't know Christ this morning. So, verses 30 through 40. Here we come to the third point. Jesus is the true bread that never perishes. So the crowds, they continue on with their questions and now seem to be getting a bit feisty. You can kind of feel it and see the twinges of it in their words. And not, not just feisty, but the depth of their unbelief is becoming rather evident and is being made all the more evident. And so we see even Jesus says it himself, 
of their unbelief, but we see the, the radical blindness of the spiritually dead. So the crowds, they ask Jesus, you know, what sign or work he will perform for them that they might believe. And so they go on by saying, you know, you see uh, our fathers, they ate, you know, bread from heaven. You know, they did that back there and they had all this to, to believe. Um, so Jesus, what are you going to do? You know, are you, you need to, if you're going to be like that, well, you need to give us bread every day. Just like, you know, they had bread every day. You need to provide this manna all the time. So what can you do? And again, if we weren't like totally dismayed at the response earlier, I mean, we wonder at this as well. I mean, what spiritual blindness is on display here? I mean, did not Jesus just feed them bread out of nothing. Did he not, he himself, give them food? And they said, Ah, here is the prophet of God. And were not they just ready to make Jesus their king? Yet now they say, Hey, can you do another miracle for us so we'll believe? I mean, do you see that how outlandish it is here? <laughs> And as you read this, or as I read it, you know, I think of the good and and even the right curiosity, you know, of our children. And even if you don't have children, you know, children do these kind of things. So our children, you know, they're always asking, you know, what's that? Or how is this? Or show me this? Or do it again? And, And so then I'll come and I'll answer, you know, what that is, or answer how is this, if I know how it is, Um, and I'll show them this if I can, and I'll do it again as well, and then what often follows all of that is what? Why, or what's that, or what do you mean, or show me this again, or do it again, (laughs) you know, know, it's funny, and it's understandable, certainly with our children, but not in these grown adults who beheld and heard and saw Jesus, yet they still don't behold, still don't believe, and they still don't see. Their blindness, their spiritual deadness is deep, radical even. So who can save such a people like this. Well, Jesus can. Jesus can. And this is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. And so we need to come here, even as we see how outlandish this all is, We need to come here with a bit of sobriety. I mean, he has helped us also here, hasn't he? God opened whose eyes that we may see? He opened our blind eyes. He 
breathed life into our spiritually dead lungs, and he caused our spiritually dead hearts to begin thumping once again. And so we come saying, Thank you, Lord, for the mercy upon mercies that you have shown me. We, we can look at them and be like, what were they thinking? But then we come back and we say, well, wait a minute. That was me too. Look at the mercy of God, church. Look at the mercy of God, world. I was the same. And so we need to come with a bit of sobriety as we hear the ridiculousness of all this. And I wonder also, do we do, we do some of the same things that they're doing? You know, we've read of His miracles, we've heard His words, and we've heard His word preached again and again, and yet we will not, or will we not, believe Jesus, he corrects them and he says that his father who gave you that bread is the same one who gives you and I and all this bread from heaven. And who is this bread from heaven? It is Jesus. Well, give us this bread all the time, they say, so our bellies will be be always filled to the full. Verse 34. And similar to everyone we've seen before, they still just don't get it. John, he is magnifying our deep and desperate need for new birth. You must be born again. You must be born from above. So who can save such a people? Jesus can. Who can save you? Jesus can. Our spiritual blindness is great, but His power to save is greater. And so we see that Jesus is the better bread. And Jesus, He tells them here plainly in verse 35, I am the bread of life. I am. Ego me. We saw last week Exodus 4, coming to Moses, I am that I am. Jesus is again showing them who he is. So he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so Jesus truly satisfies. He doesn't give bread that wears out like The bread, the manna in the wilderness, his bread is better. He gives bread that never molds, never grows old, and never perishes. And that bread is himself. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. So he confronts there and our unbelief. Perhaps right now you are tooling long and hard and you have said there must be some better, some greater bread. There must be some higher 
some more profound, something, some more mystical kind of experience that I can have outside of Jesus. There must be some deeper code in the Bible than what we have here. Something deeper, a deeper knowledge, a deeper way of salvation. There must be something this world can give me that will be enough. Well, friends, it is Jesus that you and I need always. He satisfies. And that is no lie. He calls us then to cease looking for some greater experience beyond Jesus and cease toiling for those things that never satisfy and to come to Him who satisfies forever, believer and unbeliever alike. He is the better bread and His mission is one that will not fail. And that is his point with verses 37 through 40. So we have seen in the preceding verses, verses 25 36, our call to believe. Believe, believe, believe. But now, who comes to it, to Jesus, who believes in Jesus. And so here we see God's sovereign goodness. We see his sovereign grace. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So they have seen him and don't believe. Yet, and this is in contrast to their statements, and even to Jesus' knowledge of them, those who the Father gives those who he has chosen before the foundation of the world will certainly come. That you crowds don't believe, but there are many who will come. There are many who the Father has given to me. And this is true as well with the second part of verse 37 also. The second part of this verse, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. It is declaring that those whom the Father has given the Son, He will certainly have them. He won't lose one. They will be raised up. The Father gives and those given will come. In other words, Jesus did not come with the possibility that some may be saved. He came with the certainty that His work would be effective. Those who the Father has given Him will come. He would not fail in His mission. It wouldn't be that He would die and no one would ever come to faith in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? dies and no one comes. He's saying that they will come. Jesus will not lose any of those that the Father has given him. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. Ending then with the call to one and to all, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him 
should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Glorious. So we see God's sovereign goodness and grace and human responsibility balanced together in mystery, yes, but without contradiction. His mission will not fail. So in light of this, let us be emboldened by him who will not fail. Let these truths cause your faith in Christ to be set free, to soar. Let your faith have wings and let it set your heart aflame to go and tell the gospel to one and to all peoples. We have a gospel that will not fail. And even as we saw in John 4, we see again now, there are many multitudes who will certainly come. The fields are white for harvest. So let it be a call to risk and to live for and to proclaim Christ. Be emboldened by this mission that will not fail. Also, let us never cease looking to him who will not fail. Your salvation is sure. If you know Christ, you are his forever. He will not lose one, not even one. You will be there on the last day. If you know Jesus, you're, you're going to be there. He will raise you up. And if you're here or tuning in and you don't know Christ this morning, may you hear and respond to his call. May you look to him who now and forever will not and cannot lose even one. May you consider your own soul and consider this truth and trustworthy Savior that we see and we have seen again and again in this gospel. May you look to him and he will give you life evermore. Let's pray together. Father, we Seek you, Lord. I pray that all of us here would examine our hearts in view of your word this morning. We've seen a great deal of earnestness from the crowd. May we examine our own hearts and ask of ourselves where we are. Are we earnest about the wrong things? Are we seeking after Jesus? Are we doing that you know, in our lives, in our homes, in our, our, our social media accounts? Are people seeing Jesus in our lives? Or are they mainly seeing something else? Lord, may you do a work in your church and in us that people in, in this day and these days and these years they would say, and they would have, they could only say this, that that right there, what happened in 2020, 2021, 
was the work of God. We pray that you would work, Lord, and awaken and cause dead hearts to come alive. Pray, Father, that you would help us as your church to follow you and love you and delight in your Son and boldly go and tell others. We pray for anyone who doesn't know Christ, who may be listening in, may you be with them and help them, Father, even now as they are considering your word and these things. May you help them even now to turn to Christ and be saved. We thank you, Father, and we pray your, your help and your grace as we respond and as we sing this next song. May we respond in our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen.